Today's guest brings new meaning to the phrase, you are what you eat. What did you eat today? Did you eat a avocado? Well, you're an avocado now. The guest is Dr. Uma Naidu, and this conversation will blow your mind. We talk about how the, the mind-gut relationship should really be called the gut-mind relationship. 90% of your serotonin receptors are in your gut, not in your brain. And it is uh, a conversation where we cover so many different things from the foods to eat, the foods to avoid, um, when it comes to mental health, how much of an impact what we eat will have on our mental health. She's the author of the best-selling book, This Is Your Brain on Food. And she's the Harvard medically trained doctor and actually faculty member at Harvard Medical School as well. So without further ado, let's get into it with Dr. Uma Naidu. This is Below the Line. Dr. Naidu, thank you so much for joining me on the, the show. I'm really excited for today's conversation. Me too. Thanks for, thanks for inviting me, James. I'm excited too. It's there's something something always interesting about people that are at the intersection of a few different disciplines. Um, it's it's almost like seeing a bear is one thing. Seeing a bear that can juggle is something else. Seeing a bear that can juggle on a you know a, a rubber ball is is entirely um, just entrancing. You can't look away. Do you mind giving a little background on yourself for listeners of the different intersections that you sit on that that make you as a as a practitioner as an author um, so different than than probably many of your colleagues? Well, thanks for asking that. You know, I um, I've said this before, but but I wish I could say that I had some great plan in life. Um, I knew that I wanted to be a physician. Um, I uh, knew that there were certain things that were very important to me. But mostly from a young age, I was raised to suddenly be an independent thinker. And I was raised to value education um, and value nutrition and was surrounded by a lot of doctors in my family, but also a few Ayurvedic practitioners, but also the balance of just coming from a South Asian background. So, you know, meditation, yoga, mindfulness, how we ate spices were just part of everything I grew up around and I brought that forward with me when I studied and went to medical school but I, I think the I was thinking more deeply about this question it really came from following things that I loved to do and you know I knew that I loved medicine and I knew I, I loved science but then food was important and I didn't know how to cook because I grew up in this last large South Asian family and everyone else cooked so I was spoiled and I could hang around the kitchen and taste um, so my journey in cooking taught me how much I loved not only just loved food, but loved the experience and creativity. So I wanted to follow that pathway. And I was always surrounded by people who encouraged me rather than say, no, you can't do it, or how can you fit it in? I was always surrounded by people who said, sure, you know, you love to do it, why not? You know, and, and um, the same thing with just studying and understanding nutrition. I really felt that it was a big gap in, in my patient care. And I felt a real responsibility around the, the power of a prescription pad. Something about knowing what the side effects of the medication could be, and don't get me wrong, saved the lives of many of my patients. So I still prescribe medications even now, but I also do it with a certain 
level of being conservative and understanding the side effects. And if I can also build in lifestyle measures such as nutritional psychiatry recommendations and other things that help them um, fend off side effects, it makes it makes the efficacy and the um, the adherence to medication much better. So when I, I when I discovered that, I realized, you know, we really need to know more because if someone's eating poorly and they're taking a medication, how can you not expect them to to gain weight? And I'm 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 really, you know, pleased now to see that I'm not happy about the state of metabolic health in this country, but I'm really pleased to see that much of that is coming forward around how we eat because for we're putting the whole body together instead of being siloed about here's the brain or, you know, here's your cardiac condition. We're talking about it as a whole. So very long answer to say that I followed things that I loved and I was fortunate to be encouraged by people who said, why not? Instead of why are you doing it? Uh, where's the time? Well, this is a podcast for long form answers. So I want the long form. Um, absolutely. And it's, there's so much to, uh, within that, that, uh, that I'm curious about right off the bat, could you give me an example of uh, a patient that um, just a hypothetical patient that comes in, if you were just a psychiatrist, how you might approach it? And then as a nutritional psychiatrist, um, how you you would actually, you know, if you were to separate those, how you would approach it as a psychiatrist without the other life intertwined, how you would approach it if you were just a nutritionist, and then how you are able to approach it with with both disciplines and uh, in mind. Yeah. You know, I think that in, in psychiatric care, we, we're trained in a particular way to go through an evaluation. And I feel like Western medicine ends at the diagnosis and, and the need for medication. And I feel that that's generally what psychiatrists do. And there are many forms of practices in psychiatry. Some people integrate therapy with medications, some just prescribe medications, and some people do really a hybrid of many, many wonderful treatments that they can help people with. Um, but in a normal psychiatry office based in a hospital, you would do an evaluation and then you would decide that a medication is needed and then you would prescribe it and follow your patient. If you're a nutritionist, you know, you have certain goals that you want to achieve. The person is being referred to you in a hospital setting because, for example, they're heading towards type 2 diabetes and there's a concern. So how can you talk to them? How can you tweak what they're doing? How can you look at what they do? And there's, there's obviously subtle differences between a dietitian and a nutritionist, and I'll, I'll, I'll not dive, dive into that in this conversation. But, the, you know, people sort of conform to what they're trained in and, and, and the advice that they give. Nutritional psychiatry is a nascent term. And there are several research groups in different parts of the world who are not clinical, but who have done research trials on um, different foods and the impact on same mood or foods and, and the impact on cognition. Um, but, you know, to practice clinically really integrates what we know about the research, the evidence, be evidence base behind actual nutrients. For example, Mentors of Mind at Mass General decades ago was studying and, and did some of the seminal studies on methylfolate, you know, magnesium, um, vitamin D, omega-3 fatty acids, and more. So it's been going on. And what I like to say and what I bring forward in nutritional psychiatry clinically, but integrating the clinical science and research is we, we don't eat one nutrient or one ingredient. You know, we eat a composed plate of food usually. And that's really what it does. It brings together the information about nutrients to advise people about how to eat. And I try very hard 
you know, my editor and I had a long conversation about making sure that we had the upwards of 550 references in the book so that people understood this wasn't just coming from, um, there were animal studies included, there were human studies, there were all sorts of trials included so that people could really gauge what we were saying. And why I felt it was important, James, is because there's so many sources of information out there these days that people want to be able to get a, a slightly more cautious, conservative approach to their health. Because if not, you will be like the individual I spoke to um, a few days ago who was on, I, I kid you not, 30 different supplements. Oh. And I wrote them all down. Um, 30 different supplements, powders, and plus on medications, prescribed medications. And all of this was gained when I casually asked, how did you come to this information? It was gained from listening to different people. And there was nothing wrong with that, except not all of those were, you know, was, hadn't gone through his doctor. It, it, you know, it, it was Especially, an unusual way to gather information. Well, and, and it is the internet age is you can, 50 years ago, it might be, here are three people that know about this and I'll interact with them yeah. over the course of a year versus today you can get on an internet forum and be on an right. internet forum with a hundred thousand people interested in these things, tossing out, right. tossing out information. And that's beautiful. And in, in many ways it can bring to light um, things that, that you wouldn't hear from uh, those three Absolutely. people. You wouldn't hear about stuff. Yeah. But it also can, uh, I have been there where it's this rap sheet of things that you're trying yeah. Uh, trying out it's more on the my uh, my journey when I uh, my heart condition limited my caffeine intake I was just searching for other uh, you know alternatives um, and tried so many different things it's all in uh, beyond coffee the uh, the book we were chatting about but it was it was also um, just kind of like a wild west but it in many ways it was because seven years ago it was very hard to find a doctor that that would help guide me along with these things. Um, Absolutely. It, 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 you know, people are seeking information. So the internet age has helped in that way. And I think you're absolutely right. Not everyone integrates the information. And my point is only that I, I don't certainly assume to know everything. I learn and read and study all the time um, so that I keep myself updated. But, but there might be something I don't know. It's really about providing a body of information that can guide people. And, and that's why my book is really intended to be a guide for someone with a diagnosis or with, without, because DSM-5 really does not capture enough people. I mean, that's, that's a pet peeve I have because I see people with a touch of OCD and depression. I see individuals mm -hmm. with different elements of different conditions and a checkbox of symptoms is just not nearly enough to cover mental health. And I care deeply about that. I feel that, you know, the crisis that we're going through is the mental health crisis. We have a pandemic. Uh, which is moving along and hopefully in the right direction with the vaccines. But, you know, the mental health crisis is huge with, with the statistics that have come out. What I'm most concerned about is there are many people that are getting missed in, in all of this because of quarantine, isolation, loneliness, um, being separated for, for important health reasons, but mm -hmm. there are more people suffering than not. Um, you know, the statistics was very frightening. Um, what are, about, what are some about, of the, about, what are some of those when you say frightening that that are just in the back of your mind so the most scary for me um and i should uh, i should preface that I, I listened to what you sent uh, sent us yesterday and i and i was uh, i really appreciated what you shared um so i want to say this 
that, you know, the CDC released these statistics that 11% of Americans considered suicide during uh, the pandemic. And that was very frightening because what it taught me as a psychiatrist of almost two decades is I'm not hearing about that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are people that are suffering and um, either don't have access to care or ashamed by the stigma around mental health uh, diagnoses and treatment. And so there are many other statistics as well. They would increase our depression, anxiety. We know that from prescriptions that were increased for new prescriptions. Mm-hmm. We know that from Zoloft going on shortage. Uh, we know that um, Zoloft went uh, on shortage. Zoloft went in shortage on shortage in uh, June of last year. And there were uh, Express Scripts did a survey in spring of last year, which showed there were this huge bump in new prescriptions, mostly around anxiety and insomnia and depression. Um, We know that um, um, substance abuse, including alcohol, is on the rise and and has been during the pandemic. And we also know that different forms of abuse were on the rise during the pandemic. So there are all these little pockets of information that are coming through, burnout, um, including burnout and first first responders is extremely high. So I feel that, you know, I don't say it lightly when I um, say that I think the crisis here is the mental health crisis that we, that is still unfolding because we're really not aware of what people need or that it's very hard for people to come forward sometimes. And, um, you know, I think that that food becomes just the low-hanging fruit, pardon the pun, but it becomes something that we can all do, we can do right now, we can make changes every day. Does it cure everything? Will it, you know, keep someone from a severe symptom? No, but it can lessen symptoms, improve your lifestyle, and it can make people feel emotionally better. It's, it's on a scale of how you use it and using it responsibly. So, you know, I think that um, we need interventions and we need interventions that are within our control. Food and nutrition is one of them that we can tweak right now and today while we're doing everything else. Speaking to a therapist, accessing a telehealth doctor just to even be evaluated becomes important. Um, and, and I think there's a lot of confusion sometimes about just getting the, the help that people need. And I, it's anything I want to do, it, it's, it's improve the, uh, the stigma around mental health. Well, and, and uh, absolutely, uh, we're, and we're going to come back to that, but at the top of the conversation, I would like to open it up. Where, where can people, beyond Your Brain on Food, amazing book um, that I recommend to everyone, what are other resources that people could access if 10 minutes into this conversation, 15 minutes in, they're saying, yes, I, I want more resources on that, or I'm dealing with something, and it might not be possible to get on Dr. Naidu's calendar um, what resources would you give to listeners right at the top of the conversation? First, first and foremost, depending on where you live, um, there are now multiple telehealth or telepsychiatry services available. So get yourself booked with a therapist if you can't go in person, if, if things are more opened up where you are. At least get in front of a, a licensed clinician. That could be a social worker, a psychologist, a nurse practitioner, a psychiatrist who can ev- evaluate what's going on with you. Stop there so that you get a sense of what direction you need to go. And you may not need a medication, but you may. You may in the shorter term need a medication or if you're severely really just not feeling well, ask a friend to take you um, to, you know, into a hospital to be evaluated or to your primary care doctor to be evaluated. But you know, all you need to do is Google things like resources for suicide hotlines. Um, you know, there are institutions and organizations like NAMI 
um, and uh, American Psychiatric Association, American Psychological Association, which may actually have resources in your area. So, you know, start start there. Don't, don't if you're listening to this and, and you are suffering in some way, don't, you know, hold on to it and you, uh, uh, don't, don't be alone with it. You know, mm-hmm. reach out and, and ask someone to help you. You may not have the energy right now to make that call yourself, but you may be able to text a friend or mm-hmm. tell your parent or, or tell someone, a sibling, you know, tell someone right. that you're in trouble. The, the, I would make a, um, uh, there's a, an investment that I made portfolio company. So full disclosure, I'm an investor, but I invested in it because it, it just had great technology. It was so simple as a company called cerebral for people that are listening, um, for, uh, telemental health services, from um, psychiatry to ongoing therapy, and it's, I mm-hmm. think it's only ninety nine bucks a month, which I it floored me. It's the it's uh, amazing. The the it, it's the the founder is a son of a psychiatrist and a psychologist, and so mm-hmm. for for listeners um, that haven't listened to my uh, trailer episode that Dr. Naidu talked about, uh, I mentioned there that um, I have a mother with bipolar, a uh, a brother with bipolar, my sister, um, she took her own life with uh, major depression. Um, when I was 15. And in observing and just watching the space for 19 years, mm. it is, it can feel so overwhelming to piecemeal. How do I find, what is the difference between a psychiatrist, psychologist, a therapist, yeah. a uh, reading a book on this stuff? And and it just feels like it's it's many different, if you are finding yourself in that acute extreme It can be case, very overwhelming. It can, it can be, be very, really overwhelming. And, yeah. and you can start with the, the yeah, the, the suicide hotlines. It's not like you're talking with some neighbor that doesn't know what they're, t- they're extremely well-trained and, and it, and it's anonymous and, and it can and, be. Right. And they, and they know that they, um, um, they, they, they know where to guide you. Mm-hmm. And and they're national, you know, and they're usually toll free, so you can reach them literally from a payphone if if that's where you are, you know. And um, I don't know if they exist anymore, but I think I've seen a few, um, you know. But it's 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 some um, it's something it's it's help that you can and access, and um, yeah, it's important. And Cerebral's on your phone, and there are others out there as well. Um, but Cerebral, you can just download the app. The it, that stat is mind, and that's I don't mean that as a commercial for the they're they're doing so well they don't need my help. Um, they they launched in January and then COVID happens in wow. you know February and March. Um, and so it's uh, yeah it's been a really they've been a, a real source of positivity. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna look them up. Yeah, it's because um, I always need resources to share with my patients as well. Right, get cerebral. Um, and um, and they don't they're not paying for this or anything. I and I invested because I care about this space so much. But the uh, the founder was a a son. He's a son of a psychiatrist and psychologist, and just knew that if you find a great psychiatrist, but it's $199 an hour, $450 an hour, it's going to be really yeah. difficult to see that yeah. person each week, each, you know, even once a month yeah. at those prices. Yeah. And so he, they came up with a very cool model that I had never seen before where you have this um, consultation with a psychiatrist and ongoing conversations around medication, but it you have the ongoing uh, consultations with a therapist. So they can, instead of a, you know, a, a therapist is not going to charge 450 bucks an hour. So they're able to, to provide 360 degrees of, of care for $99 a month. And, um, and so it's, uh, again, I, 
I'm trying to balance not sounding like a shill for this company, but also saying it's, I found it so unique as an offering that I invested in it um, and, and really believe in it. The, but that stat is just to continue with this for anyone that is dealing with this. If it's 11%, that means that there are listeners right now that have had that suicidal thoughts. That means that mm-hmm. there are going to be people, if you interact with 30 people today, on Zoom, on email, on you know, in your neighborhood, is going for a run. Three of them may have ideated on suicide in the last year. That stat is unbelievable, um, unbelievably high. Which also means if if you are having those thoughts or have had, you are certainly not alone. You're going to bump into three people today, um, so you really should not feel ashamed by it at all. Um, I couldn't agree more. Thank you for thank you for saying that because I don't think people often realize that it's um, could be your neighbor, it could be your Zoom colleague, you know, it could, it could be anyone that you touched touched on in a conversation, even virtually. So well, in in you wouldn't believe this. Yesterday, I'm on the phone with a friend of mine um, that is raising capital for his business, and in the middle of three minutes into the call, he said, "I don't know if you know this, but." My son passed away. This is so touching and so um, overwhelming. Um, but he said, I don't know if you know this, but my son passed away last year. Um, and he was 12 years old and took his own life in the midst of the isolation of, of COVID and, and in the midst of just um, right underneath their nose. They never thought that that would be. I never, even even someone that has experienced that directly in my family, I if you had a 12 year old, I would have never thought that would be possible. And yet I imagine those stats are also spiking from 10 to 17 year olds that are dealing with. Absolutely. Um, you know, yeah. I, I think you raised I'm really sorry to hear about your friend and, and, you know, really sorry to hear when I, when I heard your clip about your sister, I think there's very little that prepares any family for that. Um, any friend, anyone, but I think it's very devastating and, and hurt and painful in a family. But, to also speak to what I think is a very important thing that you said, James, which is that statistics includes everyone. So it's children, it's it's little ones, you know. Um, and I think the, we spoke about the internet age. Unfortunately, the internet age also has come with things like bullying, cyberbullying, um, you know, comments about uh, your appearance or comments about school and e- even in the virtual world. And I think it's just um, just something we have to be so attuned to to know that uh, it comes in different forms at different ages, you know. Um, right. So that doesn't ex- that ex- includes the elderly who may be more isolated from family because of situation. Right, and um, uh, not that this episode needs to be a PSA for well, shit, it should be um, because it is it, that stat is not spoken in. I had never heard that eleven yeah. percent. I did not know Zoloff Zoloff sold out <laughs> in June. <laughs> Um, was on shortage. <laughs> on shortage in June of last year. And that's, um, it is, yeah, if that stat is for everybody, then, then, you know, one in 10 children, it's worth, it's worth having that conversation with any of your children if it's one in 10. Um, and, and it is something that I, like I said, I, you wouldn't imagine a 12 year old might have those thoughts, but, um, yeah, I, I was so fascinated when he, when he said that I went and started doing re- research. Uh, I was so blo- just obviously overwhelmed, but, um, you know, these, these thoughts can start as early as five 
and six yeah. and eight and uh, just creating that space with with children seems to be uh, it seems to be a mandate especially in a cyberbullying world where they're dealing with something that might be very hard to talk about because it's text yeah. or a forum or uh, things that photograph photograph you know, an innocent photograph that was shared or or um as I hear about so often, you know, um, a fun photograph, and I'm not even talking um, something sexual, I mean, just, you know, a photograph of a kid or, you know, and they get picked on or someone makes a comment that, that they think is funny, you know, and um, it can be very, very hurtful to a child who's still developing and, you know, cares about what their hair looks like or whatever it is. Right. Um, so, and that's separate to, you know, the whole... Um, other element of what what kids get drawn into on the internet so it's just it's just scary and i think that the best we can do is to be aware um, and to ask questions yeah. um, one of the things we taught in 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 mental health and in psychiatry is never feel afraid to ask the questions because sometimes a person who is um not feeling good who has thought about suicide once they really they they stay alone with it right and so contrary to what many people may think, psychiatrists are trained that way. Always ask. Um, not only is it how do you mandate, ask? How, man, do, man, how, man, how mandated how, as part of our evaluation? How I think for for I guess for me it's it's sometimes I come come up with it, you know, if, if I'm sensing I think that in psychiatry, um I one of the things that drew me to it is that I I I've, I've always grown up with sort of an intuition around things. And I think that when I look back, psychiatry appealed to me because I felt that I could tap in with people and reach them in a certain way. And I, maybe I do, maybe I don't. Um, but I sometimes I come out with it and sometimes I build up uh, would, in a conversation. Tactically and specifically, how would you do it? And how would you advise a parent that maybe is thinking, okay, I have a 12-year-old, a 13-year-old, um, mm -hmm. I don't want to prime them and put the idea in their head of that right. e that right. suicide even exists. But right. at the same right. time, they know that there there's a chance that their child is is hurting. Um, what right. was so interesting about this, this? My friend is he said his son had no symptoms that he could see, mm -hmm. none that he could right. see, and and it was actually impulsive right. impulsivity of mm -hmm. uh, something in a video game, and it went wrong, right. and then right. impulsively. Um, took his own life uh, in his right. in his uh, closet. Right. Just um, how how would a parent approach that? You know, it, I I think that's um, there's there's no perfect answer uh, to this question, but I think being aware, being being in tune with what your kids are up to, what they're doing, being involved in their lives, not not prying and spying, but you know, being involved with their lives, understanding what games they're playing, you know, who their friends are, what's going on at school. Um, you know, I'm a um, I'm a big one for sort of having, um, if it's possible, and I know it's not always, but maybe this is an opportunity in COVID, like family dinner. You know, is there, is there a way you can actually just interact with your family and know sort of what's going on with them? Um, you know, and if you're picking up on a change in behavior, uh, more isolation, or, um, you know, something that they're doing differently that you're wondering what, is this just a new interest or what is it? I think that, you know, there's certain things that are going on on the video games or challenges that go on on, say, TikTok or the, I can't even keep up with the number of platforms. Mm -hmm. That can be scary. So, you know, if the, on the news, they're talking about 
a TikTok viral video that is dangerous, you know, be, you know, pay attention because your kid is probably watching it, mm-hmm. has seen it. And if they're showing something, for want of a better word, that's foolish and frankly dangerous, another child may not realize, um, you know, and our, our brains are always developing as children, right? So they, they don't have the maturity of a 25-year-old um, when they when they six or 12. So understanding that they may not be able to piece together and if you've ever had this experience, maybe pre-COVID times, you waiting at a at a at a at a stop, you know, at the crosswalk, and a kid speeds out, or that you've been driving and you see a kid a, a kid running after their soccer ball in the neighborhood, you know, they don't they're not they're not trying to be bad. They just don't have that control to realize I've got to stop. They're looking at the ball, or they're mm-hmm. thinking, well, I should cross the street. It's it's development partly developmental, but it's not always their fault, so to speak, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's that, that impulsivity could be there and is often there. So when they see a TikTok video, they may not be able to sort through the danger that exists right. for them. And they're just thinking, oh, that's fun. That's cool. You know, I, I want to do this and then post it. So my friends think I'm cool. And it's, it's just, um, so awareness, having the conversations, you don't have to ask that question, but exploring what's going on mm-hmm. with them. Um, and as a parent, deciding what, how intrusive that should be. Only you know that with your child. You know, can you ask this? Can you, you know, do if they have cell phones? I mean, what mechanism do you have uh, to understand what text or, or what's going on in their life without prying? Because obviously, children are sensitive as well, and that type of thing. Um, and and you know what they're watching, uh, what they're reading, what they're watching, um, and behavioral changes, changes in eating. Um, you know, um, and if, if you have alcohol in the home for the adults, you know, make, making sure that they um, are not, you know, partaking of that, just little things that you, mm-hmm. you don't even realize um, may be going on. Yeah, and the, the stat, obviously, that 11% um, obviously translates to everyone, as you noted, and and so... Yeah, I think for peers, this isn't just for parents. It sounds like it for peers, you can ask a peer. Do you um, not? I I feel like it with my brother. We just after my sister took her own life, my brother that was struggling with depression. We we there was no tiptoeing. It was the these real conversations. Yeah. Have you right. had had thoughts of hurting right. yourself? And that's how we would phrase it. And then also give it seemed to be this relief valve to not only just hit it head on of. Have you had thoughts of hurting yourself and letting them know it's okay if you have? Um, that's right. And that's and and a parent, or parent, or even a person who's a friend, or whatever your situation is, it could it could be that you sense that, and that person may just need for you to come out and say it in a, in you know without saying you know are you going to do this? It could be are you thinking you're hurting yourself? Have you had impulses to harm yourself? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there's uh, non-suicidal self-injury where people might cut themselves mm-hmm. and injure themselves. Um, but there's also uh, those that are the other thing about uh, whether it's children or anyone else is what are people looking at in the internet? Right. Um, people, yeah, you totally. know, yeah, uh, yeah. because there's sometimes people are unfortunately researching methods, and you just want to be aware of that. Right, and and yeah, I guess that's a, a good kind of capstone for this topic is just uh, if you think you're going to prime your 13 year old with uh, by ac- you know accidentally prime them by asking them have you ever thought about hurting yourself then. Just, you can almost conclude they're seeing whatever you think they might be seeing on the internet or one of their 400 people in their class has 
hurt themselves and and told right. others or you know i remember in seventh well, or eighth seen grade, in a television show they've seen it on television yeah. show yeah. so it's it's it that power suggestion i don't think is is going to come from you um as a, as a parent or a friend saying um have you had thoughts of hurting yourself i know you've been low lately and, and might be dealing with something have you have you ever had thoughts and know that you could use that 11 percent stat i just heard that 11 percent of of people have contemplated suicide uh, during COVID. And so it's so mm -hmm. common. I want to be that friend for you if uh, that you tell and, and openly Absolutely. discuss this with if, if that is is you. So, okay, Capstone on, on that broader kind of conversation around mental health, especially right now in 2021 and at the hopeful tail end of, of COVID. Moving into, um, you mentioned your background was uh, and growing up uh, the place of food and um, Ayurvedic approach to to health healthcare and obviously a education and, and Western approach to healthcare. I'm interested. Do you mind giving a little um, breakdown for listeners of what uh, Ayurvedic approach to healthcare would would mean and what Ayur, Ayurveda is? Um, because I find it fascinating as a contrast to a Western sure. uh, approach to healthcare. Sure. So remember, I'm not uh, trained in Ayurvedic practices, sure. but they were members of my family. And so really it's, you know, we speak about doshas and uh, different uh, regions. We speak about the way that foods can impact those, but then it's not just food, it's um, certain nutrients and certain say powders. And there's, you know, say ashwagandha, for example, has actually um, been studied in terms of stress and anxiety. So it's one of the things that you'll see in a lot of different supplements. Um, so it, it's, it's really bringing almost that um, ancient um, uh, Ayurvedic practice into the modern world. And I, you know, I think that the way I, I look at it is if someone comes in and says, well, you know, I'm taking this powder. Um, I, I know a little bit about it and I'm able to advise on that. But I think that, you know, nutritional psychiatry, what I try to do surprisingly, and it may sound very boring to people, but, you know, it comes to some basic principles. It's it's how, Please, how we're yeah. eating and any movement that we can make away from the standard American diet is good for us, you know, and um, just letting people know simple things that, that really build on a whole paradigm um, and then knowing things to avoid for certain conditions like artificial sweetness. Yes, please. Drive anxiety. You, your book spends a It's almost you know? like there's the, the, the break in the gas and there are things that you can do. And it sounds like that <laughs> but, person with 30 supplements is like, I just want to take more things to get more, right. more, you know, gas, <laughs> not knowing their foot is sitting on the, the, the break with, with certain things that you, you yeah. tell folks to, I, I guess I don't want to use the word prescribe, but you tell people to be really conscious of, do you mind walking through the foods to avoid and why? Sure, sure. You know, so it starts off with, um, with you know, we know that we, we just not as a nation, not eating the best diet. Um, I, I think that rather than feeling judged by it, let's just look at it and see what can we do differently. And I think it's important to know where there are nutrients that are actually not helping, um, where there are foods or ingredients, I should say, not nutrients, that are driving our mental health. And it starts with, you know, the we know about artificial um, and added sugars mm -hmm. and um, sort of refined sugars, but they're often hidden in food. So something I like to teach people is that our food labels are in grams, but we bake and cook in ounces and pounds. It's standardized in the country to open any cookbook. So just knowing that four grams of sugar is one teaspoon makes sure that you can convert that 
in anything that you're looking at. And so you will look at a six ounce yogurt in here that I talk about blueberries being a healthy antioxidant rich and fiberfold food. But if you're having a blueberry yogurt, you could have eight added teaspoons of sugar in a small half a cup. So just look at the labels for that reason so you learn. And added and refined sugars are often hidden in savory foods. So ketchup, salad dressings, pasta sauces that are store-bought are the uh, way you want to look for it. Why? Because added sugars, that form of sugar, certainly is not good for our gut, but it drives depression, it worsens anxiety, and a lot more. That's separate to our metabolic health, which is also in crisis in this nation. Um, so heading away from type 2 diabetes, working on insulin resistance, one of the best ways you can do that is lifestyle measures with nutrition being one of them in addition to exercise and everything else. Another is processed vegetable oils. So a lot of fast food restaurants, um, it's a lower cost oil and use it and reuse it. And, and the problem is these are inflammatory. And they, um, unlike olive oil and, um, you know, the omega-3s and things like that, these are inflammatory and really set your body up for inflammation. When your gut starts to get inflamed, you develop neuroinflammation, which is when you get worsening of mental health symptoms or, you know, um, you really, really start to see that an do you, uptick. Do you mind t telling listeners yeah. a little sure. bit more about that inflammation side? I think when people will hear inflammation, they'll think, oh, inflammation, yeah, kind of like a twisted ankle yeah. in my stomach uh, has a right. has inflammation. What's yeah. the big deal with that? Do you mind bridging Absolutely. the gap between inflammation and our mental health sure. and what we're discovering? Sure. Lately? So, you know, inflammation is also a natural process in the body. So think if you fall over and, and um, scuff your knee and have an abrasion and that heals, you know, inflammation is a natural part of healing in the body. But what we're talking about here is when it almost goes on um, to the point of being harmful to us. The way that the gut and brain are connected becomes important in understanding inflammation because people think of these as two different organs, and they are, but they originate from the same exact cells in the body. Mm. And then they're connected by the vagus nerve, which is the 10th cranial nerve. Um, and then uh, two more things I like to share with people is that more than 90% of serotonin receptors, and we know that SSRIs are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors like Prozac or Zoloft and others, um, more than 90% of the receptors are in the gut. Wow. And very important for, for here and now is that 70% of our immune system is in the gut. So it's it's become a, um, a hugely important organ and an area of research in, gut, in my gut microbiome research that was really burgeoned over the last two decades. And it's important for us to understand, therefore, that what we eat, whatever happens in the gut, the different processes, which I then outline in the book, actually can form positive substances for your body or not so great substances. When you're going on that kind of junk food, processed food, fast food diet, what you're doing is you're feeding the bad microbes in your gut. They're like right. trillions of microbes in your gut. If you put them together, they're probably the size of a little avocado. Okay, so so they all might, you know, right. you can't see them. But when you feed the, feed the bad guys, they take over. And when they take over, you get the setup for inflammation, which is called dysbiosis. And when you hear things like leaky gut and uh, intestinal permeability, that, that's, that's really what's happening. But if you're eating the healthier diet and you, you know, eating well and you're trying your best to tweak that, uh, maybe some of the bad habits you've picked up during the pandemic, then you, you're, nurturing, you're nurturing the good microbes in the gut and then you're helping them do their job. Which, um, which is really to take care of our immunity, do multiple things. They, they also help to regulate uh, the formation of short-chain fatty acids. Now, these actually help mental health. 
So you want to be forming those when you can in your gut. And, and forget about the terminology, but rather think if I'm nurturing the gut, I like to say to people, you know, happy gut, happy mood, because it makes that connection that if you're taking care of your gut health by how you eat simple thing, fiber. Fibers in fruit, vegetables, beans, nuts, seeds, legumes. You can't really get fiber from animal seafood protein. So make sure you have your veggies. Turns out one in 10 Americans eat enough vegetables. So mm. it's something we can all be improving. Um, you know, so just just simple, simple ways to understand that you, by eating that way, are reducing inflammation. By reducing inflammation in your gut, you are helping your brain. So... You know, that's, that's, um, uh, people do get confused by inflammation and, and uh, we, we, we just need to understand the context. But then there are, you know, artificial sweeteners that um, worsen symptoms of anxiety. Um, there's some newer ones that may be uh, slightly better now. Um, what, are the then, ones, what are the ones to just categorically avoid? The, the, you know, uh, things like um, sucralose, you know, the, the, the sort of little packets that you see at, at the coffee shop or maybe they don't keep them in the coffee shop anymore. Those are sort of the, the you know, sweetened lows and, and that. Look, stevia is healthy. Um, it's, it's considered a natural ingredient. It's healthy in, in moderation. Um, actually, I, sh I should walk myself back from that statement. It's a healthier option because it's natural. But stevia, unfortunately, drives anxiety. So if you are struggling with anxiety or panic, it's not the sweetener for you. So make sure you're not getting, you know, kombucha is good for your gut, but you might be getting it sweetened with, with a certain, certain artificial sweetener. Right. So um, I think that, that avoid them. Um, there is a newer one called allulose. Yeah, that, I've, seen, um, I've seen about yeah, this. That it I think is seems a little bit better um, and seems to have some good 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 um, evidence behind it. So I suggest to people if they're really struggling, uh, everything in moderation, if you're really struggling to get off of those sweeteners and maybe try something newer, stevia unless you have anxiety, erythritol is another one. Um, you know, and and again, you because it's sweet, you don't want to overdo it. You just want a touch of it so that you essentially um, teaching your body over time to really be less dependent on the sugar because because of things like high fructose corn syrup being in most things that we eat mm -hmm. and the fact that fast food french fries have added sugar to make them more palatable right. um, and the fact that in february of 2021 there was an article in the american journal of clinical nutrition that kind of aligned or showed us that foods um, are really uh, uh, almost designed to be a certain way, but that, that it also leads to food, uh, to sugar addiction. Um, right. I know, know, I know Subway the... just got busted for calling their breads bread and that they, the amount of sugar, I think it was in, it was a country in Europe said, you can't call this bread anymore because there's too much sugar in here. Sugar. And it just, it blew my mind that it never crossed my mind. You'd make bread with sugar, much less so much of it right. that you couldn't call it bread in Ireland or wherever it was. As, that is interesting. It, yeah. it is. It is. It's, I, I, it's fascinating. So it's all these these little things that I think that may seem simplistic, but if people know that, you know, my my niche is really nutritional psychiatry and mental health. So so I need people to understand those are the things you need to be aware of if you feeling a little blue during COVID. You know, if you're not feeling that great, or maybe you're feeling more anxious because 
you have Zoom fatigue. You know, you're going from one Zoom meeting to another and you haven't had a chance to eat lunch. Whatever it is, um, be aware of where those uh, those ingredients are that may be worsening things. Like nitrates and processed meats worsen depression. So it's just right. it's just oh, important to, it's, to it, know that. Yeah. And, and when I read that in the book, I remember thinking it's I have migraines that started when I went to college and and thought, okay, it might be stress. It might be... Um, diet related. And um, it wasn't until years later that I realized I would eat Chick-fil-A chicken. Uh, It was just in the bottom of our dorm, probably four or five times a week. And nitrates are, uh, as you touch on, they're highly prevalent in in, uh, processed meats and chicken. Um, and, And since then, every migraine that I've gotten in the last eight years since I put that together, 10 years since I put that together, it is on the heels of some type of cheap meat, either fast food, yeah. burger, processed, yeah, processed, processed meat, yeah. and it, it's never, yeah. it's yeah. never uh, great chicken, but it's, it's even just like a, a chicken sandwich um, that's a grilled chicken yeah. sandwich can, so that's the, yeah, have well, it's, it, I'm, I'm glad you, 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 you paid attention to body, body intelligence, which is the other thing I try to encourage people to do because if you haven't have an impact it's not always an allergy right because allergy can be very severe but if you have a reaction or response to food your body's telling you something um you know your body is telling you something and it's it's just important to pay attention to that the audience for below the line is one of the dense maybe the densest audience of founders in the world with about ten thousand uh listens per episode there is a maybe 50 percent are founders of businesses. And if you have ever as a founder thought about selling your online business and then been rightfully apprehensive because it is a nightmare, so many, so much of the time it is just, just goes, not only does it last six months, eight months of negotiation, three more months of finalization of the deal, then a new owner runs your business into the ground that you spent years pouring yourself into. There is a reason people say acquisitions are extremely painful, but not anymore with Tiny Capital. Tiny Capital has built the dream scenario for acquisitions. They will review your business in seven days, make an offer and close within 30 and they'll keep running your business. Whether you want to be a part of it or not, they do not buy businesses to run them into the ground, to shut them down, to acquire the talent. They keep it going. It is the... I truly mean this because I've had friends acquired through tiny capital. It's so different than any other acquisition process that I've ever heard of uh, between the efficiency and how they keep running and growing your business after you sell. It, it really is the dream scenario for selling your online business. So go to tinycapital.com slash below the line. That's tinycapital.com slash below the line. The link is in the show notes. Go check them out. If you are interested in selling your online business today. This little app is also brought to you by Magic Mind. You know you've you've heard me talk about it, so I'm not going to go uh, at length. But this episode really brings it to home. This episode we talk about ashwagandha and turmeric. We talk about the the things that we put in our bodies, having and in our stomachs, having such a profound impact on how we feel and our mental health. And that is uh, that was the insight of my entire journey of figuring out that coffee was actually causing me a pretty intense anxiety and figuring out a way to make that first morning cup last all day. So I take Magic Mind every single morning. 
along with doctors, Navy SEALs, pro athletes, Grammy winning musicians. Um, if, if, you know, athletes have Gatorade, uh, now founders and creators have Creatorade with Magic Mind. Take it alongside your first cup of coffee, tea, whatever your current ritual is, take Magic Mind alongside it and you'll get eight to nine hours of productive, creative flow. It is, uh, it is the anchor of my morning ritual. And this episode really, really drives at home how important that putting the right things in our body is and things like turmeric or ashwagandha or bacopa. It is, uh, it might be hard to find ways to fit that into your diet. Um, but, uh, with magic mind, it's as easy as it gets. You should pop one in the morning and you've got a great source of turmeric, great source of matcha, great source of ashwagandha and 12 uh, magical ingredients to give you that entire day of productive creative flow go to magicmind.co promo code btl that's magicmind.co promo code btl to get a 20 percent off discount to try it for yourself um the i, I want to underscore something you said that uh that it kind of has blown my mind 70 percent of our serotonin receptors are tied to our gut is um, that 70 percent of our immune system is in our gut oh, sorry, and 90 percent of our serotonin receptors yes uh, okay so, are in the gut. and and uh for for many you know psychiatric um situations you'll prescribe ssris which as you stated are, are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors so they're working on your serotonin level for things like prozac and it is um that's a fascinating statistic to show that this isn't like this sidebar to your mental health, mind, brain, it's all in your head right. type of focus. Mm -hmm. It really is, mm -hmm. I mean, 90, if 90% of your serotonin receptors are in your gut, then then it's it, Prozac, is that is a gut-based medicine, it sounds like. Is that too simplistic? There's this whole, there's, there's this whole burgeoning field, right, that I'm so excited about in called um, psychobiotics and really harnessing the power of the gut microbiome in mental health. And, you know, I think that I can't wait for what we discover in that route because it becomes really putting together what I hope will be food as medicine in a real way, that there will be realistic options. But you might want to look into this because you, you invest in really cool companies. But, um, you know, investigating and taking the research that's, that's going on around that and making um, – people understand that connection a little bit better. So I, I'm, I'm excited about the direction we're going in. And it doesn't, you know, doesn't, as you well know, replace the need for medications, but it provides people with more tools in their toolkit to, to really fortify their mental health. And the more we know, the better we eat. It, it really just all adds up to your better mental health overall. Well, an, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And usually that's, yeah. a, that's a, you know, aphorism for, non-medical situations but it's it's couldn't be more appropriate if for this conversation of of ounces of prevention of you know just not i think one of the one of the ways that um as you're talking i'm just thinking about so many of us have our foot on the pedal and our foot on on the brake yeah. and have no idea oh that that workout that you're doing might be great for boosting mood boosting energy but then eating um, gluten. You talk about gluten in the book. I would love for us to 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 go over that. Sure. Or you're you know drinking coffee with with sucralose or um, or you know aspartame or something in your diet coke. 
not knowing that oh that's that is a lead weight on right. the brake as you're trying to to you know swiftly move it's about it's about finding that balance and um even with gluten you know it's it, for me it's the type of gluten right it's 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 the fact that industrialization changed the type of wheat we have in this country so yeah tell so, tell listeners so more about I've, that. It, yeah, you know, so gluten um, has been found to worsen symptoms of anxiety. And it's interesting because we did a post based on, on a research article that I wrote, uh, but we did a post based on that as well as other research that's been done. And, you know, people had a lot to say. That's the other thing on social media. So everyone has an opinion, which is great. I think it's, it's, it's really cool that people feel informed. But we were not saying don't eat a piece of bread. We were just saying here's what we know be a little bit careful, you know, if you have anxiety, because in my patients with anxiety, if we've tried to look at what they need and, and really upped uh, and improved their diet through nutritional psychiatry um, a treatment plan, you know, one of the things we might eliminate over one to two weeks is gluten and see how they do. And sometimes they do much better. Um, there are many people um, who may not know that they have non-celiac uh, gluten sensitivity. So, you know, they may not realize that. It's not a huge number of people, but they may actually have worsening anxiety with gluten. So I always think it's the type of gluten that you're eating. It's, you know, if you're eating healthy whole grains, um, what you want to be aware of is your, is your weight. And the reason I say that is if you're struggling with your weight a little bit, you may want to cut back on the higher glycemic uh, foods even if they are healthy whole grains and pay attention to getting your carbohydrates from maybe um, slightly better sources until you really are in a better state of metabolic health mm -hmm. and, and are not, not tipping towards um, type two diabetes or insulin resistance. So it, it becomes, it, it's sort of a matrix of things. It's not just one thing. And so when mm -hmm. we say avoid gluten in that context, it's people who are suffering with anxiety. If you tolerate it otherwise, there are many um, people who, who might eat healthier forms, then it will be okay. But just be careful. If you notice symptoms and you don't feel well, then you, you might need to speak to your doctor and slowly remove it from your diet. How do um, how do you, you know, find example, a, how do you find a doctor yeah. that is informed in this in this realm? Just to ask a blunt question because it seems like most doctors I'm a I'm from Texas and and I would imagine that um, a friend that's seen a doctor for twenty years um, that doctor right. that psychiatrist might not know this latest research. Right, you know, I think that um, what I'm trying to do is is really develop um, training and, and organizations around nutritional psychiatry so that more physicians, whether they're psychiatrists or not, um, you know, are, are really learning some of this methodology. And I think that's a work in progress. But there are functional medicine doctors, lifestyle medicine doctors, who I would say are just a little bit more informed, only because, you know, doctors are busy and they have a certain amount of time that they have to see someone. They, they don't have time to ask about diet in fairness to them. Mm -hmm. But also in fairness to us doctors, we don't learn in medical school. It's a very, very small curriculum. So we're not necessarily up to speed in that way, you know, and that's where um, ha having really building out, that's the other thing I'm working on, is really building out resources where people know they can look for information or we really use social media in that way um, to give really give, give people updated information and share guidelines to how they can think about their food, think about their diet, what is the research showing, and then they can make a decision. Um, they usually write and say, well, are you saying I should never eat bread? But, you know, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's not the spirit of what we, we're going with. Uh, we're just talking about uh, certain conditions. And some people can't eat bread, so it, it's a problem. And I, I, I 
speaking as someone that's been when gluten free for three years now, I lightly um, consume it. It is just Pinterest. All you have to do if you're thinking about any of these things, uh, a quick pro tip is. I don't even use Pinterest, but open up a every once in a while, open up a Pinterest board. I feel a calling to go vegetarian uh, at some point. And uh, I've actually telling a friend this weekend, probably by the end of this year. And so I'm moving in that direction. And one of the best ways um, my wife did this, she just opened up a Pinterest uh, visual board of seeing all these amazing meals I could still eat if I went gluten free. Um, and it was a time of extreme anxiety and, and it helped immensely. And I've reintroduced it, uh, a little, a little by little and haven't had too much of, of, um, you know, ongoing reaction, but just seeing a visual board to where it wasn't mm-hmm. like, oh, I can't eat bread again. It was, oh, wow, I can still eat this, 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 this. It was actually right. visually pretty powerful to, to realize, oh, there's, I could have 20 go-to dishes still, um. Absolutely. You know, as a chef, I actually care care about the taste of food or the quality of people's relationship with food and the quality of their lives. So I hesitate to just, you know, throw down the gauntlet, so to speak, and say you can never, ever eat gluten. What I do is in the book is provide guidelines for people. And in mental health, I have to take that lens, you know, and understand that um, I update my information all the time. Nutritional science changes all the time. And there are people who really advocate against gluten. And where I'm at with that is people with mental health, you know, maybe so severely depressed, they can't get out of bed. And if they are not eating and losing weight, I don't want them to hear my uh, words and say, well, I can't have that slice of bread, which is the only thing I have in my house. I, I want them to get the treatment they want and have someone like myself or someone else evaluate them to see what 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 do you need right now that we can help you get better. It's a very different equation in mental health, specifically in psychiatry, where you can prescribe the medications, but you also are taught to diagnose these illnesses. And the reason I say that is a lot of the nutritional psychiatry information, in fact, is based on mental health. It's not, you know, someone just with a cardiac condition. And I have to be sensitive to people who suffer with mental health because their needs uh, are different. And and it, it, is, it, it really sometimes gets confusing for people when they don't understand the context of where the advice is coming from. Well, I think this is the, uh, this is the new frontier within mental health. It's, it is, uh, there's a, you know, there's a lot around uh, and a lot of volume around uh, microbiome or psychedelics, but I think the kind of ho-hum, simple, right in front of our faces, uh, information on on what nutrition, or what the right things or wrong things that we're putting our body are doing to us is just, as you note in the book, and it's you're a pioneer in this in this entire realm. Is just it's not talked about enough. Um, but when we're going through this 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 great list, uh, artificial sweeteners. We mentioned gluten for people with anxiety. Um, we've uh, and, touched and on a few veg- other conditions. Uh, okay, and a few other conditions, but um, but gluten, yeah. And uh, vegetable oils and the the harm that comes with um, eating fast food or just eating food that you know is getting fried and it probably the, the wrong types of fats like right. the trans fats and things like that. Yeah. Right. Um, what are some of the things that uh, that w- and and I did want to ask, what about allergies? And someone that's mm-hmm. lactose intolerant, or how would you, right. someone, let's say someone's been dealing with, battling with depression for the last six months, 12 months, off and on for eight years, and um, maybe something like an elimination diet could could potentially 
um, help them yeah. walk, walk, walk us through that lens in that area. Right. So, you know, um, I think that there's a place for elimination um, based on a person's symptoms. I'm always open to asking people about their body intelligence and what, what they've noticed. Um, so I, I definitely think there's a place for that. Um, if, you know, if you, um, if that is something that you need, you need to do, for example, one example, like we spoke about is gluten. Allergies are sort of in a different realm because if someone truly has an allergic reaction, you know, there are degrees, you might need a shot from an EpiPen, but it also might be just a mild skin rash that you have. So with, with milk, um, many people find dairy milk to be inflammatory. And that again, goes back to dairy farming. Um, there, if someone cannot tolerate lactose, um, there are new milks called H2 milk. Um, and that basically isolates out the casein or the, the uh, sorry, the, the lactose that people are reactive to and could be an option for individuals. And then I guide people towards um, getting the pro their probiotics, which are important for your gut and your health from sheep yogurt or goat yogurt, they even co coconut yogurts. And I always say go for the plain one mm -hmm. and add in your berries and cinnamon. So I think that with allergies, it becomes... Um, a situation of what a person is experiencing, getting themselves tested, working with their doctor to maybe eliminate certain foods and figure out uh, figure out what they need. For example, an example of this is people are concerned about nightshades or FODMAPs, uh, using a FODMAPs diet. All of those have a place. The issue is that some of those, all of those foods may actually be nutritious, but they may not be nutritious for that person. And this comes back to the uniqueness of a microbiome because a microbiome is like a th like a like a thumbprint. So you know, a p certain person might need to follow a FODMAPs diet for some gut healing or work with their practitioner around whatever symptoms they're having. Um, but many of those, uh, you know, many there are many foods that are healthy that one person cannot tolerate. I talk a lot about fiber, another nutrient that we don't get enough of in terms of our diets. But fiber is not for everyone. In mental health, fiber can really be your friend. But a person with IBS or ulcerative colitis or SIBO could have could be very uncomfortable if they increase their fiber suddenly. So there's it, everything is almost in context of what that person's condition is. And I'm finding that more and more, um, the work that I'm doing is is becoming more personalized uh, based on based on a person's symptoms. For that reason, you also mentioned that. Um the 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 microbiome being uh, all of the microbiota being about the size of an avocado and and that preferences can change is it is it too simplistic to to talk about it as if you know, you feed the the bacteria that crave sugar sugar they're going to want more of it mm -hmm. you feed the bacteria that's going to want uh fiber or vegetables that you actually can change your preferences mm -hmm. over time is that too mm -hmm. simplistic or is that uh, no, in a line? I, like, I, actually, I, I like that. And, and by the way, when I, uh, when I spoke about the avocado, it's like if you took all of them and you put them into one place because right. they're microscopic. So, okay, uh, yeah. But it's to, to also help people understand that there are so many trillions of them down there. I like what you said, actually, because it's quite true. We know from research that in a 24-hour period, we can impact those gut microbes. So I say to people, you can be, you know, in the Chick-fil-A lane. I'm just taking mm -hmm. your example. Yeah. Chick-fil-A is great. Don't it, is know so, about, it is so good. I but don't know enough about it. Their salad uh, dressing must have so much sugar in it. Just into like the, the vein of things having sugar, you don't I, know I it. I already mentioned them. 
must have so much sugar. I bet their mac and cheese has sugar in it. It is so good, and and that is not a. I don't think that's but Listen, them. it's not that's not delicious. It's what it might contain. So right. so you know that that's my. So let's just say you're in the fast food lane uh, rather than pick a name brand, and you're in the fast food lane versus you know a healthier option uh, for dinner for lunch. And in that 24-hour period, we know that those gut microbes uh, change and evolve. You don't feel it immediately, but over time. If you continue to go to a fast food restaurant, that is going to start to have an impact versus, so your, the, the, the way in which you described it is true. You can either help those bugs to thrive by feeding them the food they want. They love fiber. Um, they love infl- anti-inflammatory foods like veggies of different colors. Eat the color of the rainbow. Eat your greens. All of those actually contain gut-thriving um, nutrients, and when you, you're kind of eating sugar and fast foods, it's 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 that's feeding the bad guys. And when they take over, is really your setup for inflammation in, and inflammation. We're speaking about nutritional psychiatry, but inflammation can be skin rashes. It can be, you know, um, many other ways in which that that the gut inflammation manifests in the body. So um, you know, we want people to remember that as well. Yeah, it is. Um, and that I think that that is such a key insight to think that it's it's just the the preferences that you feed quite literally with the foods that you're cho- choosing will either grow or diminish. And it's not just choosing a life of eating salads and you and and veggies yeah. and, you, and you don't and you don't prefer them. You don't like them. It's that you invest in it. And it sounds like within 24 hours, you will start to adapt towards craving more of those and craving Your less. Your micro, so. microbiome will start to adapt. Right. And it, it will tell you, you know, weeks later or however long your body takes to adapt in a good way or not good way. And, um, you know, I think that, that clinically I've, I've seen this happen. So Well, it's and it's that's a good reminder if you don't feel, quote unquote, satisfied um, like you would with something sugary or with a lot of carbohydrate or a lot of, you know, just uh, processed carbs like bread and you're eating something like salad it's much more to the equation than how you feel 30 minutes after or or uh, right. it's much more about uh, and, this constant and, and, investment. and it's not it's right and it's not just a salad you want uh, a, a source of protein and you want a healthy fat involved you know so quite a quarter of an avocado i say know, salad that's salmon, i'm uh, speaking to myself with a sal- i say yeah. <laughs> the salad is speaking to myself because i will absolutely go over you know, I'll choose something quote unquote more satisfying yeah. instead of um yeah. instead of yeah. the leafy greens or or the colors of the rainbow yeah. and and it really yeah. is um i think about just chocolate each piece of chocolate that i'm having is probably because i love dark chocolate i've convinced myself that it's only good even though i know it isn't each piece has an additional just tax on it that I'm going to crave more of that over time. Um, mm-hmm. Well, it also depends on the it. type of chocolate, right? Because um, oh, I do, I do the 80%, bad. I do the bad kind. You do the bad. You do <laughs> yeah. the candy bars, okay? Right. I, because chocolate actually has some good properties. Yeah. It's the, tell us. Tell us more. Dark, yeah, the extra dark. More than eighty percent is my my rule. Um, no added sugar to the chocolate. And uh, it's actually, you know, the flav- cacao flavanols are excellent. Um, it's sort of technically a probiotic because of how the cacao beans are treated. And it has serotonin, it has magnesium. So so I, I, I try to pe- get people from the candy bar stage to really learning and appreciating a dark, extra dark chocolate that's plain right. and eating a little bit of it. And what I find is um, the tipping point for kind of when they move away from the cravings is when they can be satisfied with 
a little square of chocolate because you really kind of enjoy the taste of it. But it takes time and it's, it's not easy. And I'm not saying it's easy to give up the Snickers bar or something like that. But it's, 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 all, it's all a process, which is why this doesn't happen overnight. Well, and yeah, that's a uh, great call out. It doesn't happen overnight, but uh, you can move to that 55. I'm currently at the 55% dark chocolate. Um, okay, but uh, right. north, north of 80. Of yeah, like exactly. It. North of 80 is where I want to be. Um, Dr. Andrew Weil is who is, uh, we, we talked about before that episode. He's the one that got me on uh, the, okay. uh, the dark chocolate square at night, but I'm still not at that 80% north of 80% level. Um, okay. The one of the, the, the last areas that I want to cover with you. So mentioning the foods to avoid, um, what are some of the foods that we can move towards? You mentioned, you know, eating the rainbow, you mentioned dark yes. chocolate. You also uh, talk about turmeric. What are some of the others that we can yes. move towards? Sure. So spices. Um, so so let, let me start off with spices because it's one of my favorites. Spices are an easy, calorie-free, sugar-free, salt-free way to add and flavor to your food, but also boost your mental health. Turmeric um, is my one of my go-tos. Um, quarter teaspoon to a super smoothie, a, um, a salad dressing, a tea will, will start you on your pathway if you don't use it yet. And adding a pinch of black pepper, the purpurine from black pepper right. makes the uh, turmeric more bioavailable. So, so uh, you know, so definitely add that in. Then, you know, there's chili peppers, oregano, um, saffron. All of these have some good evidence behind them. So just making your food more flavorful can also help you. Another big category is, pre. we talked about fiber, that's one category as well. We talked about leafy greens, colors of the rainbow. But, um, you know, another um, a big category is prebiotic and probiotic foods. And the reason these are important, again, it comes down to the microbiome and helping those bugs thrive, um, the microbes thrive. And prebiotics are in, in certain foods like jicama. Um, asparagus and several other things. What is the um, distinction? And what's the distinction between pre prebiotics and probiotics? Sure. So prebiotics basically provide food to those gut microbes, and probiotics is sort of think about you can take a supplement or you can have a yogurt with live active cultures. So it's bringing back uh, good uh, good uh, microbes or bacteria to the gut. Okay. Um, so there are certain um, fermented foods like kimchi, um, nacho, miso. Um, kombucha, all bring back really uh, good microbes to your gut. So the pre is, you know, you're feeding those microbes and the um, uh, the probiotics is either supplement or fermented foods. And fermented foods bring back live active cultures. Those really also help your gut. Um, again, you know, a little caveat, some people have certain conditions where they can't tolerate fermented foods or they can't tolerate fiber and they have to be a little bit more careful. So this is just, you know, generalized advice for people who are trying out their game uh, without any, say, uh, gastrointestinal issues and things like that. Uh, and so th those are some of the other pillars I speak about. And like I said, spice uh, is, is one of the big, the big categories in there as well. Then goes to healthy fats and, you know, the types of proteins you choose and things like that. Well, it's, there's so much to, to think about within that. Um, if, if someone is, let's say they've been dealing with an episode of depression for, and this is hypothetical, and, and this isn't the personalized approach that I know you would want, but someone that's listening to this has been dealing with just a, an episode of feeling really blue and feeling mm -hmm. just out of the ordinary, um, depressed or, or anxious, but let's say four or five months of depression, and they're eating yeah. Chipotle, um, they're eating... Um, you know, sugary yogurts for breakfast. Um, they're picking up pizza 
because it's convenient ordering in pizza. It's convenient. Mm-hmm. What would you guide that per this hypothetical person away from and towards um, in terms of just starting today? Sure, I I think that right now um, today I would I would look at one meal that they feel they can change. Maybe that's breakfast. So rather than get getting that um, you know uh, cereal out of a box loaded with sugar and processed or um, sort of yogurt which has the blueberries in it, get a plain yogurt. A plain yogurt, maybe a sheep's milk yogurt, maybe a grass milk fed yogurt. Add in some frozen blueberries, inexpensive because they're frozen and they flash frozen, so super healthy. Sprinkle on some cinnamon. That's one one thing you can do tomorrow morning uh, because you know it doesn't involve cooking and you can add in healthy ingredients. Another thing is to ask yourself, what is it in my diet um, that that is the, the one thing I'm willing to change that I can try to change today? And the reason I say that is I can give people a list of ten things and I found it doesn't work because they come back having only done one of the 10 because they're not ready or they it, they feel overwhelmed. So I ask the person, I kind of put the ball back in their court and say, what is the one thing you feel you can change today? Maybe it's your breakfast. Um, maybe it's, you know what, I, I hear what you're saying. I don't need enough vegetables. Can you add in steamed broccoli to your dinner? Can you add it into your lunch? Can you have a salad? Um, and rather than use a store-bought salad dressing, can you make, make a two, three-ingredient vinaigrette and add that on and try to try to stop there. Is that something you can do today? Or maybe maybe you can add in a spice that could be helpful. Mm. I think if you I think the things you want to pay attention to with depression are things like omega-3 fatty acids have have some good evidence associated with it. So try to include, you know, fatty fish in your diet, like salmon. And if, if that side of salmon is too expensive at, at the supermarket, um, cans there are versions of canned salmon. That um, that actually could have great brain food in them. Um, canned oysters have zinc, which are which are great for your brain. So so it's it's really about finding at least one, maximum two things that you can change today, from today to tomorrow, um, and and start building in those habits. Um, and and don't you know don't forego flavor because if you're eating something that you don't like the taste of, you're just not going to sustain that habit. Mm. That's a good good advice from a chef um, that knows what you're talking about. Okay, last question, and this is uh, pretty <laughs> out there, but uh, but that you are the person to ask, um, at least the person that is in my you know orbit that I can ask about this. What is the research around uh, fecal transplants? And yes, listeners, you heard that right. And microbiome, because yeah. we're talking about that right. mind gut connection, right. and and right. I've heard about people literally. Uh, transplanting uh, fecal matter, yes, listeners, mm-hmm. you heard that right, yeah. into others. Um, w- what is, tell me tell me about that, and is that legitimate? Sure. Yeah, it, it's legitimate, and it's ongoing research, and it's being done. And, and the way to think about it is that um, we talked about the healthy microbes and the healthy gut bacteria, um, but, you know, I think that um, what we, they, they, they convey health benefits. So the reason to use fecal transplants is to convey health benefits and to test um, and really research that. I'll tell you a fascinating study that's included in my book was around schizophrenia. They transplanted um, the, uh, they did a fecal transplant of individuals with diagnosed schizophrenia and active symptoms into germ-free mice. So the mice um, had didn't have a microbiome because they were bred to be germ-free. And when they transplanted it, the mice developed the symptoms. Wow. So that 
conveys to people, you know, what I think is fascinating is that um, this is a this is a powerful um, area of research that 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 you know fecal transplantation actually uh, teaches us a lot. So wow. there's a reason that it, that it's ongoing, and I think it'll it it will um, teach us a lot more. Well, it's uh, it yeah it makes me think that the the mind gut connection should be renamed as gut mind connection if if it's that strong that something like schizophrenia comes from right. the microbiome Absolutely. Um, and i think well, that that's why i'm excited about you know what what will be uh coming in uh, what we'll be hearing about in this area because i do think it's a powerful organ and is it the only thing you know no things change all the time but i think it's something that we can at least um spend our energy on um you know on learning on learning more about so i think it's the most fascinating frontier within within mental health uh and uh, and uh, I'm so glad you're pioneering this whole realm of nutritional psychiatry. Dr. Naidu, where can people find out more about you online? Thank you. So follow me on social, which is at Dr. Uma Naidu, at D-R-U-M-A-N-A-I-D-O-O. Interact with us. We're always putting out information uh, based on the work that I'm doing. And um, subscribe to my website or uh, you know check out my book. Uh, the book is available everywhere. And it's called This Is Your Brain on Food. Um, in certain countries, it's called the Food Mood Connection. But in the U.S., it's called This Is Your Brain on Food. And my website is umanaidumd.com. We will put those links in the show, show notes. Uh, thank you so much, Dr. Naidu. It was such a pleasure talking to you. Great questions. Uh-huh.